Fearscape Media Network, exploring the unknown, one podcast at a time. Hey everybody, Stefan here. This episode is sponsored by the great folks over at Box Mountain. Box Mountain is a subscription box service that has my favorite sub box yet, the Cryptid Crate. You see, Josh got one of these for his birthday, and I was super jealous because it was packed full of merchandise pertaining to cryptids. The box he received first was all about the Flatwoods monster, which of course is one of our favorites. And it had a t-shirt, a book, a patch, mug, and some awesome stickers. So I checked out the price to get one for myself, and let me tell you, it is well worth the value. These make excellent gifts for yourself or even friends that are cryptid lovers as well. Now, if you use the coupon code FEARSCAPE, you will get 25% off the first month for any new subscription or 10% off individual purchases. So go ahead and head on over to FEARSCAPEPODCAST.COM slash CRYPTIDCRATE now and get yourself one today. Thank you for tuning in to Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. We are on a journey to understand and to discover the phenomena that seems to exist all around the globe. We invite you to join us on this journey into the unknown. Ladies and gentlemen, to another frightening and enlightening episode of Fearscape Paranormal Podcast here on the Fearscape Media Network. I am your host, Stefan Gerhart, and I am joined, as always, by the man who wishes he was my identical twin, my co-host, Josh Rutledge. How are you today, sir? I am doing spectacular. Now, I, I feel like... Say though, spooktacular or spectacular? Spook- uh, whichever specter. I mean, if you want to think that maybe spectacular, I'm talking about spectacular. I don't know. Um, you know, if I was your identical uh, twin, we could have pulled all kinds of antics back in high school. Oh man, and antics on our wives. Yeah, like you know, I, you could have gone off and like gone and seen a movie, and I'd be like, I'll just, I'll just hang with your wife yeah. for like an hour and watch, you know, whatever show you guys watch together. You know, no, no Netflix and chill stuff, though. No, 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 no. Because I don't want you doing that to my wife. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, just just the basic stuff, you know, like, oh, yeah, you just, need to you ride know. to the to the grocery store. Oh, yeah, I could take you to the bank. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, all the fun stuff. Um, so we have a really cool show tonight. Uh, we are getting spooky with a legend in the paranormal field we are going to be getting spooky with mr paul eno um he has been paranormal adventuring for over 50 years uh him and his son ben are a world famous team of father-son paranormal adventurers broadcasters authors and lecturers that have combined experience of over 65 years in the field of the unexplained um they have investigated hundreds of cases all over the world they've lectured all over america and europe uh they have their own uh sunday 
Sunday destination radio show called Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Uh, it is in its 14th year. It airs in Boston market. Uh, and uh, the show, which was broadcast for four and a half years on CBS radio in four U.S. cities, has an estimated three million listeners i mean this dude's been going since the yeah. 1970s josh he uh beginning while he was studying for the priesthood he had early mentors that included parapsychology pioneer dr louisa rhine uh father john nicola um, who was the technical advisor for the exorcist uh, yep. as well as friends with of course our favorite folks ed and lorraine warren of the conjuring fame um so i mean this dude has been around the block and i am so freaking stumped yep. to pick his brain a lot of a lot of good history going to come out tonight oh my god i mean and we're looking this is a type of guy that looks at all paranormal like we do yeah that it's all connected somehow into the bigger grand scheme of things i mean he is into ghosts aliens bigfoot you name yep. it so. he is legend dairy dairy i like dairy a lot uh, especially yep. milk and cheese that yep. is like why is that not a milk product why is it not called legend dairy like that needs to be uh i agree how, uh, instead or, of like shamrock farms and stuff like that legendary or just you know it could be an ice cream shop set up in a town that has some legends mm. yep legend dairy all the dairy. ice creams are named after like urban yep. legends and you got mothman merch arnold cherry Ice cream. You know, ice cream, gelato. You know, I mean, whatever. Yeah, right. You know, whatever. So, mm-hmm. you know, totally, boom. There you go. Totally down for that, man. You, you could even have the Jersey Devil delightful dessert. You could, but you it'd could. be a it'd be a banana split though. That's okay. I need potassium. I get cramps at night. So it's not just made for you, JC. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. For everybody. <laughs> well, I just want to share my homeopathic medicine. <laughs> Okay. All right. Okay. He's just excited because we're doing Crypt of the Week this week. Uh, But anyways, so uh, let's get moving on, Josh, because I want to get crack-a-lagging because I do want to get to uh, Paul here. I keep wanting to say Brian Eno because that's a really cool musician, but uh, this dude's even cooler. Uh, But anyways, we're going to get to that. But let's get to our first segment of the week, of course, which is Psychic Word of the Week. And now, the Psychic Word. Of the week. Psychic word of the week comes from the Encyclopedic Psychic Dictionary by June G. Bletzer, PhD. Rest in peace, honey bear. Um, so I flipped through the pages, Josh, and I landed on page 461. The phrase that grabbed my eyeballs uh, was over at the bottom, and it said, perfectness, ugh, perfectness plane. Perfectness plane. Uh, so here's what it says. The seventh plane, perfectness, represents the highest conceivable spiritual attainment, indescribable in language, beyond human level and comprehensive. Excuse me, and comprehension. On this plane, it is speculated that mankind will be free from the downward pole of materialistic desires and its karmic tie. Happiness experienced beyond one's strongest imagination, a plane of light so strong that mankind cannot perceive it in their present stage of evolution. Hmm. Sorry, humans. Y'all don't get to see it. I wonder, it's interesting, well, but no, there, there is none chakras, though, so 
Uh, I was thinking maybe it was like it lined up with the seventh highest chakra, like the crown chakra, but there's actually not chakras. Yeah, I don't know. Um, uh, yeah, I've never heard of the other seven plane or the other planes, so I'm really uh, wanting to take a dig into well, that. It, I can think of like 20 things that it might be. <laughs> well, but I mean, but there are we know of at least two other planes, right? Sure, the astral the, plane and our plane and airplane. Well, there's yeah the physical plane, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, but yeah. I, I mean, know. like I said, I could I could hypothesize what they are and say the dream plane and and, and things like that, but uh, I don't know. Um, you know, she had it highlighted, so I mean, I could always go check that out another time. Yeah, but, yeah, it's it's interesting. Is it's it's just it's it's kind of like Nirvana. It, it's it's something that we attain to reach that we'll probably never reach. You know what I mean? But it, I mean, is it still a, you still try to reach it? Is it the you know would would calling it um, heaven be too, um, I don't know, normal? Yeah, I, maybe. But heaven, according to Christian uh, mythology, I'm just talking is, about we can go to heaven. Though I mean, you know, this says you don't get to go. It's it's too perfect. Hmm. So I don't know. Um, and you know, before you say, oh, well, you have to die before you go to heaven. Elijah didn't die. He just got took up. Well, I, I read something the other day that um, that heaven is actually every day of your life and that you don't have to die to get there. You just have to change who you are to experience it differently. Josh, heaven is every day of my life with you. <laughs> Why, thank you. Why, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't let your wife hear that because I don't want to, you know, competition. So Mm-mm. 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 it's a good thing. It's a good thing our wives don't listen to the podcast so <laughs> only when they're in the other room here yeah really yeah were y'all just talking about bigfoot yeah so so now you're listening because it's on the other side of the wall cool yeah. uh anyway anyways thank you junji bletzer uh perfectness plane that's kind of a tricky one to say uh anyways uh let's go ahead and move on to our next segment which is uh the mandela effect did you say Mandela? No, no. I said Mandela. Mandela. The Mandela effect. Mandela effect. All right. So, Josh, we've got the Mandela effect this week, and I've got two for you, like I usually do, but they are of the same ilk. Okay. They are based on the same person. And today we're going to be talking about uh, famous pilot Charles Lindbergh. Okay. So the first one that I want to talk about is the the one that is the biggest one, but it's really quick, and that is what happened to the Lindbergh baby. What is your memory of of what happened to the Lindbergh baby? Um, it was taken and never found. Exactly. That's exactly what my memory of it was. I asked some folks at work today, uh, some of the older folks, especially because some of the younger folks were like, who's Charles Lindbergh? Is it a cheese guy? <laughs> and I was like, no, that's Lindberger. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, but anyways, I did ask some people and every single person said the baby was kidnapped and never found. This is incorrect. Indeed, the baby was found uh in fact the uh the person that ransomed 
the the Lindbergh baby eventually got to the point where he said, give me the money and I will show you where the remains of the baby are because he had already killed the baby. He had killed the baby with a blow to the head and then buried the baby. And then the cops and Charles Lindbergh and them did indeed find the baby. Um, and the, uh, the man, um, let me see what his name is here. If it says it on here. Uh, doesn't say it offhand without looking for it. But the man that did all this, that kidnapped and killed the baby, was killed in, in uh, I forget what year, but via electric chair and everything for murdering the baby. The baby was indeed found. It was huge news, but almost, in fact, not a single person that I talked to uh, said that, yeah, the baby was found murdered. Uh, no, every single person said the baby was never found. Well, I meant, to, what I meant to say was, the baby was killed like i don't i didn't mean it as like it got never got returned i mean oh well that's what everybody thinks josh everyone thinks and that's what i thought too was that it was this big mystery that never got solved that it was this thing that the Lindbergh baby was kidnapped uh and never found because you know whatever the case may be the ransom never got paid or got paid but he never delivered up that's what i had always heard and everyone i talked to today heard the same thing yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I remember, uh, and maybe this is, I don't know, but I remember researching the story back in high school and, and reading about, you know, the finding the body half buried and well, and and they probably did in the so. dimension you were from. <laughs> <laughs> but those of us that I spoke to that flipped dimensions, <laughs> in our dimension, uh, it did not. Um, it, 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 it just disappeared and no one ever found the baby. Um, so here's the other one. So this is the other one with Charles Lindbergh. And this is something that blew my freaking mind. What do you, what do you recall that Charles Lindbergh is famous for? Uh, circumnavigating the globe or was it flying across the country? I can't remember which. Neither. It was, you're close. That was flying from New York to Europe. Yeah. Um, uh, he was uh, known as the first pilot to cross the Atlantic yeah. uh, in the under 33 hours. Yeah. It was like, you know, did it solo the whole nine yards. That, sir, is not true. In what fact, part of it? Charles Lindbergh was the 82nd person to cross the Atlantic. 82nd person to cross the Atlantic. He was not the first person to do it solo. He was not the first person to cross it uh, on one trip. He was not the first person to do it from New York to, I forget, uh, I think Paris, wherever it was. He was not the first person to do all these different things. He was indeed the 82nd person. However, um, uh, the thing that I was reading, this guy speculated was that a Lindbergh had a lot of connections. He lived in a bigger city. Uh, most of the people that did it before him were kind of unknown folks. They weren't really big. It didn't make huge news and news didn't travel like it does today. Um, and that, uh, because of his connections and his already kind of, he already kind of had some fame and things like that. Um, his story got picked up and no one ever refuted it. And so other papers picked it up and so on and so forth and blah, 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 blah. Um, but yeah, there's even a movement right now to fix history on Charles Lindbergh. <laughs> so, so real quick, he's famous for 
making the first solo non-stop yep flight. non-stop flight right under 33 other, hours other pilots had crossed the atlantic before but he was the first to do it in an alone non-stop flight other that, pilots had stopped along the way no that's what he's famous for but it's incorrect others had done it non-stop others had done it solo others had done it in under 33 hours he was the 82nd person to do what he did hmm in I'm fact, I mean, it. yeah, I mean, I can send it. you, I have a ton of articles. I have, uh, uh, I have a ton of resources and everything that go over all of it. Um, but it's quite fascinating and it blew my mind. And like I said, there is a pretty big movement to get that rewritten. Um, that of course, history is written by the winners, you know, the, the popular narrative and things like that. And based off of what they can find. Um, but yeah, I mean, there were people that were crossing the Atlantic solo, something like almost like 15 years before he did it um they were doing it in older planes like right after world war one they were already flying across the atlantic solo and things like that so um pretty interesting so that's the mandela effect uh again um this is either one of those things that's the mandela effect that that's we remember it that way because that's the way it was in our dimension or this is just one of those cases that a well-connected person uh, got an article written about him and it traveled in that regards and no one ever refuted it because they weren't famous like he was well and I, I, you know i was going to say how much of this is even the first uh, the first account and this account how much of this is just um you know uh, the educational system uh leaving things out for sure yeah the educational system does not do research like they have their textbooks and they go off of those textbooks <laughs> you oh, know a lot of times you know because you know they made you know i don't know back when we took history and they talked about the Lindbergh baby maybe they only talked about you know the baby being kidnapped and, and killed but never actually talked about the fact that it was found and there's a big freaking article on fbi.com that talks about it so yeah well yeah and they may have just talked about again they didn't maybe didn't want to freak us kids out by saying oh yeah a box of bones was found yeah like instead they just talked about the kidnapping and the right. uh things that slept. They, in fact they, even movies i remember a movie like it kind of ended before there was any resolution um yeah, <laughs> in fact unsolved mysteries i think was the same thing yeah because who wants to show you know a dead baby in the ground because that's you know that's great television that's it awesome. is now because it's all true crime shit but back then it would have been uncool to, yeah. to say it how the how the kip kids say it how the so. kids say it today uh but yeah so very cool mandela effect uh if anybody else has any information on that let us know uh but josh let's go ahead and move on to our final segment before we get to uh paul eno and that is cryptid of the week hell yes It's the Jersey Devil. Hope y'all are ready to meet some of my friends. Cryptid of the Week. Okay, I wanted, I wanted to say, because uh, I'm going to be going on vacation. I'm actually going to New Jersey. It's my papa's birthday. And so I'm going to be taking a leave of absence for a minute or two. But I just want to say, Josh, I'm going to really miss you, Stephanie. I'm going to be really really uh well i'm not gonna miss you very much but I, I will miss the food that you bring me under the table okay thank you <laughs> i mean right. so this i mean this is a development because uh i thought the jersey devil's parents were mortal but if his papa's birthday i mean what's going on there 
you don't need to understand the way the cryptids do the things that they do, Mr. Josh. Okay. Well, I will take you to the airport. Don't worry yeah. about it. So He's uh, got wings. He can yeah, fly. He can fly. He's lazy. Uh, but Josh, what do we got this week for Cryptid of the Week, man? I'm uh, I'm pumped to see what you got to bring forward today. And I know JD's pumped, man. So uh, today we got the Hellhound. Ooh, I do like Hellhounds, man, because I watch Supernatural. And uh, so, Hellhounds were a big part of it. So what's your earliest... Um, recollection of hellhounds in uh, uh, literature or uh, movies or whatever the case would be. Well, I remember hellhounds because they were there when I was born. (laughs) They were there and they they let me ride on one of them like a horse. I think he was I think he was talking to me, JD. Um, For me, uh, hellhounds the earliest recollection of hellhounds for me was the robert johnson story i grew up around musicians and stuff so they were always talking about the blues and him going to the crossroads and selling his soul to the devil and that one night uh after one of his concerts he kept telling everyone that the hellhounds were coming after him the hellhounds were coming after him and then he disappeared so my earliest recollection is the Hound of Baskervilles. Mm, uh, yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Uh, Sherlock Holmes and all that jazz. So um, the Hellhound actually dates back to 1682. So it was likely there the night JD was born because it predates the birth of JD. Mm. Um, and uh, original story was located, original uh, sighting happened in Kentucky. Really? But it, I mean, I it, guess that's not surprising. But it inspired Sir Arthur Conan Doyle to write The Hound of Baskervilles. So it's interesting that it was a cryptid legend in Kentucky in the 1600s that inspired um, a British writer to... Well, hell, it's even uh, crazy to think that there were white people already in Kentucky by that point. I mean, in 1492, Columbus. He was Spanish, you know. But, but I mean, I, I feel I, I don't know. I just assume it's English. You know what I mean? So, I mean, it doesn't. I don't know. I didn't, I don't know. I should, because since I grew up in Kentucky, I should know the history of the state. But I, you know, you just always think the early or the 1600s and stuff were mostly Puritans on the coast. You know, is what you usually think of. No, they. I mean, even my ancestry according to the genealogy stuff i had now at the time kentucky wasn't kentucky it was part of virginia sure but, yeah oh but I okay mean, that makes sense okay because kentucky wasn't founded as a commonwealth until 1792 okay so anyways on to uh the hellhound um so it also says that fluffy from the harry potter films uh was modeled after Hellhound, even though ah, Fluffy had cool. three heads, but still, yeah, <laughs> that's really cool. Um, so the uh, huh? So actually, the first referenced Hellhounds were in Greek mythology. Well, I was like, um, are you can't counting Cerebus? I mean, is yeah, that- but but this, I guess, this says that the actual first sighting was in 1682. Uh, so before it was just old okay so it's just a literature myth at that point. yeah so it's it was just a the myth cryptid that had yeah. never been seen okay so mythology so again so mythology greek mythology 
uh, supernatural dogs of exceptional strength and size, often with matted black fur and red eyes. Interesting, all these things have red eyes. Um, in legends, <laughs> they are ushers of the afterlife and a symbol of impending death. Well, they're ushers so that they can watch the show for free. Well, also because they like being on stage. Yeah, exactly. Uh, some stories say a single signing means death is near. Mm. Uh, others say that three sightings seal your fate. Yeah. I mean, I definitely knew that they were considered a death omen. So. Yeah. Um, uh, though they are known worldwide, British expert and researcher Nick Stone has collected almost 500 stories from the United Kingdom and other European countries, and most describe an evil beast sometimes called the Black Shuck, but some point them as, or excuse me, some paint them as protectors. In one story, a hellhound defended a young girl against the abuse of a religious leader in a village in Littleport, England. Hmm. The beast died defending the girl, leaving its ghost to wander the countryside. Um, most people believe the hellhound is either a living feral canine or an imaginary foe. Uh, both theories could be true, as seen in an episode of Mountain Monsters. Yeah, or it could be a Colin feral. Yeah, it could be. It could be. It's going to go streaking through the quad. Um, <laughs> or they, that's Will Ferrell. Never mind. Um, uh, a Kentucky man allegedly caught a large dog-like creature seven feet long on cell phone video. After seeing the video, the bearded cryptid hunters investigated the Pike County. Pike yes, County. I think I've heard this story before. Kentucky seen the video a long time ago. So one of the things it says here is that these are, are probably wild or feral dogs, but I also wonder, uh, the, talking about the size, if it's a wild or feral hog, mm, that because they death. do get really big. Yeah, they can get really big and dark. Yeah, and they definitely have the matted fur, mm -hmm. and they would have the kind of like tusks and things that you yeah. would associate with that kind of stuff. So 100%. Yeah. But yeah, so that's the, uh, that's the hillhound. I've got a picture here. Of a uh, of a hellhound pup, it's cute as a Dickens. <laughs> you should have seen me when I was a little baby. I was so freaking cute. I wonder did the G did JD's like wings were they at birth or did you did, did, like develop? Well, I was a baby, so I don't have a memory. That's very true. That's very true. Actually, they're all all your memories are in there, JD. They just you don't have the conscious will to pull them forward. So you gotta tell me what I can and can't do. Yep. Okay. Well, I'm gonna go. I gotta get to New Jersey. I'm gonna start packing. <laughs> hey, don't forget your winter wear. Yeah. All right. Well, Josh, thank you, man. Hellhounds, one of my like I said, one of my favorite creatures, um, especially because the supernatural whole season was devoted to the hellhounds. Uh, what a fantastic and Robert Johnson lore. Uh, all those things are really, really great. Yeah. Um, so we're uh, about to get to our interview with Paul Eno, but I do want to remind everyone that if you have not yet, please rate and review this show uh, wherever you can rate and review Apple Podcasts, places like that. Um, those are great places to review the show. Uh, you let us know that you review, we will send you a free sticker. That's a fact, Jack. Um, but yeah, rate, review, and the biggest thing is to share the podcast and let the yep. world know about Fearscape Paranormal Podcast with Josh and Stefan. <laughs> Do -do -do. Do -do 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 -do. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so uh, we're going to take a very quick break, but as soon as we get back, 
We are going to be getting spooky with Paulino. Hi, do you enjoy diving into true crime and tales of the paranormal? Then join us. I'm Anna. And I'm Lindsay on our podcast, Ghosts in the Attic, Bodies in the Basement. A Fearscape Media Network podcast. New episodes air every other Friday on wherever you listen to your podcasts. Something dark is here, flying in the skies, lurking in the woodlands, swimming in the rivers, and hiding under your bed. Join me, Mark L. Watson, and Fearscape Media as we delve into the paranormal, the occult, the spiritual, and the esoteric, and peer beyond the veil. Find us everywhere you get your podcasts or search for more information at fearscapemedia.com. And thank you guys so much for sticking around. Uh, as promised, we have uh, Paul Eno here. Thank you so much for coming on Fearscape, man. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, thank you, fellas. Yeah, I mean, I, I, um, I'm not gonna lie. I uh, over the last couple of months, I've been doing a little. Uh, who, who have I, who have I friended on Facebook, and who are their friends, and how can, how far can I trickle down? the uh, paranormal rabbit hole on Facebook and, and connect to people. And, um, and I, um, I think I linked to Kathleen Martin and uh, came across your name and, and linked to you. And, I, and as soon as I did, I'm like, who is this guy? And so I started looking at it and my God, you have been in the realm uh, for quite some time. What over, over 50 years, I think at this point, right? Yeah. Well, uh, time flies when you're having fun, Josh. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. I started in 1970. Wow. Um, and, and that's back. And, and I, I, I recently was listening to a, to a book. And I I can't remember for life of me what the book name was, but it's actually been referenced in a couple of different books where people used to get um, parapsychology degrees. And that's I guess back in that same kind of vein of timeline where all of that kind of stuff was happening. Um, I just I, you know I I don't know that, that if you have one or not, but but I just found that very interesting that people actually used to go to college for parapsychology type studies. Um, and I'm also shocked that it doesn't ever happen anymore today, but. Well, it's, um, th- that, that was a strange time. I remember uh, John <laughs> F. Kennedy university in California was one of the few places to offer degrees in parapsychology and, uh, Keith Harari and a few other fellows uh, I knew, uh, actually obtained doctorates. Uh, although <clears throat> there's a heavy uh, emphasis on psychology as well. Um, I was, on the other hand, a student for the priesthood, right. uh, starting in 1967, back when you could still enter the seminary at the age of 14. Wow. Not a good idea, emotionally <laughs> or otherwise. Hey, but recovering from, you know, Catholic here. <laughs> t- it took me 10 years to find that out. But in any case, uh, I, I started to um, uh, research the paranormal then, which was not something you were encouraged to do. You know, people think priests are trained in paranormal, and they're they're not. Mm-hmm. Very very few are. As a matter of fact, there there were a few who are handpicked to study uh, the paranormal or, or or their narrow view of it, and uh, they end up diocesan exorcists. You know, all priests were very you know all hush hush and everything. Right. And I, I worked with one or two over the years, and um, I uh, quickly came to the conclusion that uh, it's all wrong. Yeah, I just the theories aren't good enough. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, leaving possession and all that sort of thing out of it, 
I came to the conclusion very early on that, that uh, I, as is the subtitle of, of the, the, the book that my son and I wrote in 2016, everything you know is wrong. <laughs> it's just that, you know, it's, 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 it's not, the stuff isn't good enough. For example, if, if I can talk about my very first case, yeah. uh, I uh, was, um, again, a seminary student and a couple, I, I talked to a couple of the, uh, the other seminarians into coming with me. Uh, much to their uh, surprise, and it was an old abandoned village in northeast Connecticut, a very rural, very quiet area. And uh, from the minute we walked into the place, you know, a hot August afternoon, there were strange sounds, you know, the sounds of far, farm implements. Uh, uh, there were no birds or anything, but you could hear dogs barking, people talking, mm. as if it was a normal day for, you know, somebody else. And uh, we were very uh, systematic, or tried to be, with the technology of the time. And we would uh, map the place, and, and we so there was literally no one around. Uh, about a quarter mile away was a 4-H camp with nobody in it. Uh, other than that, we couldn't figure out where these sounds were coming from. And as the uh, expedition has progressed, uh, we found these cellar holes of the, where the people had, had lived and this sort of thing, and we heard... Uh, the laughter of children and uh, as oh. the case progressed we heard uh, an ox cart and th this is that fall the uh, following expedition uh, proceeding down an area that had been a road about 150 years before this mm. and we, we, it sounded so real we, we all there were seven of us we literally got out of the way it was a Sunday we figured well, maybe somebody is a team driver as a hobby or something Right. and uh, this thing went by about 20 feet from us and we couldn't see it we could hear a, a driver yelling, yeah, and the crack of a whip. Wow. The hooves, the wooden wheels, and we couldn't see it. And and th this really kind of nudged me into, into some serious doubt. I mean, are we dealing with dead people here? Are there ghosts, as it were, of ox carts and horses, things of this mm -hmm. kind, or oxen? Uh, what we were, were we dealing more with time than we were with death? And uh, so the very first case w w launched me off on, on a sort of tangent because, you know, I question everything. Like in the seminary, I was a real pain in the neck. <laughs> I'd, 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 I'd say things like, well, okay, the Bible says Christ is in the tomb for three days, right? But so Friday evening to Sunday dawn is not three days. It's like a day and a half. So maybe <laughs> mm -hmm. he died on Wednesday. You know, it doesn't make any difference. But yeah. they'd say, oh, you know, I'd annoy everybody. Or, or I'd bring up the idea, well, uh, the theology says that Christ was truly God and truly man. If he was truly man, he'd reproduce, right? Yep. So, I mean, what? So you know, and uh, the Eastern Church, where I ended up, is, is not fixated on the cervix like that. Yeah. But in the Western Church, the Catholics and Protestants, you know, those, those are fighting words. Oh, yeah. So, that um, that oh, was yeah. me getting in trouble with all my uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, nun teachers when I was a kid. And <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Questions. It's, it's you know, three you out know, of church school, right? Right. You know, what happened What happened the first 30 years of his life, you know? He just well, exactly. Him. He was hanging out uh, in Buddhist China <laughs> in <laughs> India. Well, who knows, you know, but then, and, you know, and that brings up uh, issues that, that came up as far as uh, the human origins were concerned. Uh, you know, and, and paranormal work will lead you into questions like that. Yeah, yeah. You have a you know a, a million and a half years, maybe two million years of human history that is totally empty. Empty. You don't know yeah. anything about it. Right. Could be a thousand civilizations could have risen and fallen at that time, and we don't nothing about it. You know. So you know, these are all things that that, that I was. Uh, 
concerned yeah. about. You know, <laughs> you know, you know. It's Same. it's uh it's interesting. You you mentioned the the thing about hearing the uh, the buggy the the cart go down the road and you know are are there ghosts of carts and stuff? And one of the things that uh, I've been thinking about a lot lately, and I've talked to Stefan about it a couple of times, is you know all these all these things that are you know I, I think people primarily break spirits up into two categories residual and uh, intelligent right so in the intelligent ones they interact with you in some way shape or form whereas the haunts that are just interact are, are residual they're just repeating the same motions over and over again almost like a snapshot in time and i've wondered if you know those snapshot and those snapshots in time happened in various um high um I don't know the word to put the, the word to put it, but I'll use the you know when we dropped the atomic bomb, for example, was that a high uh, history impactful moment for us as humans that it permanently locked whatever was happening in the world right then in that time it locked it into some kind of residual time loop and so then we still were hearing cars and buggies and people passing through walls and whatever the case would be now because it's again in a time loop because of that significant event that happened in our history well you could be entirely correct uh but i haven't really believed in that sort of thing for the better part of half a century okay uh, because of the various experiences that happened. Again, I could be all wrong. You know, yeah. I'm open-minded to all possibilities. But uh, I was an early advocate of that residual theory, which originally, and, and very often today, is considered to be uh, this approach, that, that in, an event, a traumatic event or whatever, or uh, even a minor event can be, as it is, as it were, recorded mm-hmm. on the environment somehow. But I took a look at that and I said, you know, if this ox cart was recorded on the environment, I mean, what environment? I mean, the stone walls are the only things that haven't changed for the last century or two. The trees are different. The soil is different. Mm -hmm. Uh, You would have to have incredible amounts of iron oxide in in, in the rocks just to even record uh, sound, never never mind any of the visual things we saw. These people show no sign whatsoever of being dead. Uh, it could be a time loop, uh, but I don't know about that because I have deliberately interacted with what was considered to be residual hauntings and changed them. Now, had I known then what I think I know now, and again, it could be wrong, uh, I would have um, tried to interact with it. And I later found out that these, uh, the you know, it doesn't sound like it from the name, but it's an old Yan- Connecticut Yankee family. And I found out that we we're related to the people who lived in this village. Mm. One thing I never said for fear of being in more trouble than I already was in the seminary was that I knew some of these people. I knew them. When I heard those children laughing, I knew some of mm. their names. And, and I was very strict about my Roman Catholic beliefs, and I just, I rejected it. <laughs> but I had a certainty, you know, later, it took me years and years to accept that yeah isn't that interesting yeah it's same same stuff for me growing up roman catholic there was stuff that i had to accept years later so so in in i'm gonna tug at that thread a little bit so are you and i don't want to put words in your mouth so tell me if i'm wrong here but are you thinking that because you had some sort of a familiar relationship to people who were living in that town in the past that that maybe allowed you to experience some sort of a, a time uh, auditory time travel, if you will, uh, in the present. Well, the six other people experienced it too, and they had nothing to do with these people. Interesting. So, and I'm sorry, my 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 experiment 
problem solving brain is is going right now. So. <laughs> oh, play a yeah, by all means. <laughs> but no, I'm just trying. To, I'm just trying to work out. You know, what are the possibilities? I I, I, I want to go to this town and do some experiments. I mean, that's just where I am. So, well, people um, have done that, and yeah. uh, you know, with the, the electronic voice phenomenon, all that sort of thing. But you know, I take that with a pillar of salt sometimes. Same. You know, you have. Uh, <clears throat> well, well, but but my point was that. that especially being a relative of these people i knew that that guy in the ox cart was uh, one of the randall family okay mm. i just i don't know how there's no yeah. logic to it just so had i known then as i say what i think i know now i would have attempted to interact and i think mr randall who was simply going about his his life in 1778 or something like that would have had a very interesting day now later on, we had uh, a fellow who came with us who who was a total skeptic. That's why we brought him. Uh, he was not a seminary student. He was a uh, one of the early computer type people working at the United Technologies in uh, nearby East Hartford, and he um, had the weirdest experiences of all of us. And it was uh, Halloween weekend. It was not planned that way. But uh, we were going, there was an old cemetery as, uh, that was up uh, on the hill above these, where these houses were, and all overgrown with woods now, of course, but it was there. And that's where most of the people were buried who uh, had lived in this village. So what we did uh, was to, we mapped it and everything else, and it was at night, and we were going to stake out the cemetery for the umpteenth time. All sorts of interesting things that happened. So we, we went up, we had spotlights, we knew exactly where we were going. The cemetery was not there. It wasn't there. Hmm. Now we got to a certain point where Marcel, this is the guy, uh, stopped, and he was in his thirties, which to us was pretty old, and he could not move. We literally tried to pull him. There were two two other fellows. We tried to pull him forward and pull him to the left, and he was rooted to the spot as if it was an electrical charge going through him. You know, you've heard of that phenomenon. On the other hand, he could move voluntarily to the right and to the back. Hmm. Now, left and forward would have been where the cemetery should have been. All of a sudden, he began to sob, and he leaned over on his walking stick. And the first thing I thought, and these are, I was, he was having a heart attack or something. You know, these are days long before cell phones or anything like right. that, so we were on our own. Might as well have been on the moon. So, But then he said, no, no, it was okay. It was cold to the touch, cold sweat. He felt as though something was stopping him and that, that we should not go to the cemetery that night. <clears throat> That's when we heard the muttering. Now, you know, you hear you can hear a group of men muttering yeah. and you know it's in English, but you can't tell really what's right. being said. Uh, well, that's what happened to us. No more than 20 feet away, there were a group of men in what would have been the cemetery. And I often thought in later years when I discovered quantum mechanics, you know, again, if that applies here, I wonder if we were not the origin of the haunted stories that, that had um, been attached to the cemetery since the very beginning. They used to say uh, that, that people would not go to this cemetery at night because of, quote, ghosts seen reclining in the branches of a certain elm tree, of which we have a photograph of one that we got on our first trip. So I'm wondering if, you know, if time loops or whatever you want to do, yeah. partially across the membrane in their world and then partially in ours, mm -hmm. maybe we were the first ghosts to haunt that cemetery before it was even there. And uh, that's how the rumors began.
Yeah, I mean, that's just a shot in the dark. Yeah. Oh, dude, I, I I love that theory, and I've, I've, I've thought about it before. It reminds me, of course, of the movie The Others, where the whole movie, you know, they think that they're being haunted, you know, of course, and you find yeah, out yeah. they are. The go- like, what a great idea. And, yeah, I've always wondered that, too, especially when we look at dimensional flips. Time is, a you know, is a construct, yeah. right? We don't know. We just, we have no idea. And then there's that idea. It's like, what if what you saw was yourself? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and I, I saw that movie, The Others, and it was, I said, they're, they're going to make it. They're going to get, and they blew it at the end. I, I know. <laughs> but uh, that's anyway, nevertheless. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, there are all sorts of, of, of possibilities, uh, spiritual, who knows what, social, that, 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 that can come out of the notion of of uh, parallel lives, parallel mm-hmm. worlds, and this sort of thing, the uh, all possible outcomes being out there somewhere. And I think that uh, perhaps this case in Pomfret, Connecticut was, I think, my first experience of that. And then, yeah, and then it got better from there. I was going to say, that's one hell of a first experience. Yeah. Great introduction. <laughs> what was it? Well, you know, fellas, the, the, probably the worst, people ask me, what was the worst or scariest event you ever had? And th- there are several of them that, that rank up there. But probably the scariest things that can happen is when something just totally wrecks your belief system. Yeah, you know, because yes. well, what do we have outside of our belief systems? Right. You know, we're um, almost alone out there, and, and then we, that that's what buoys us. And then when something happens that smashes it, it that's really scary. Well, and it's it's interesting, you know, to see the people, you know, when you have blown your own belief system years ago, and you've kind of. Yeah. Towards uh, like I do, I always say, you know, hey, you know, if you want me out of your neighborhood, burn a question mark in my front yard. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that, yeah. That's me. I'm always constantly changing and looking into things. But seeing people that have been around me for years that slowly start sliding into my way of thinking and then having to be there for them as their beliefs. Yeah. Oh, I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. You. You know. You're. You're. You're unlike. You know. You're a mile marker one thirty six, and they're just. Yeah. You know, they're not even a mile one yet. So. And the yeah, I mean, last thing you want to do is say "told you so" because that's not the right. <laughs> oh no 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 that's <laughs> bad bedside manner. Um, <laughs> so one of the things in 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 we talk about it quite a bit on the show and and have for a while and um, something I think in looking at uh, your material that I think you're along the same line is that somehow all of this stuff Bigfoot aliens UFOs ghosts whatever it's all somehow related uh to a bigger uh picture or a bigger phenomenon is that are you are you are you in that boat or is that oh not? very much so yeah okay. well by na- by the end of the 70s josh uh, i was in you know investigating your you know garden variety haunted house or whatever and it just uh, something told me you know, go on outside in the yard don't just stay in the house talk to other people <clears throat> excuse me and uh talk to neighbors if you can that's not always possible. They might think you're a fruitcake, but, you know, yeah. sometimes not. But when you do manage to uh, push the envelope, as it were, in an investigation, you find all sorts of interesting things are going on. Neighbors uh, are almost certainly having trouble in their homes, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, there are people who, uh, out of the case 1998, where, where three households came out and said they'd seen UFOs on the property where all the interesting uh, ghostly stuff was going on, mm-hmm. uh, parasitical, demonic, whatever you want to call it. And uh, then, you know, you start getting into uh, cryptids being seen in the same area. Yep. And uh, I, I went back to the ideas of John Keel and Jacques Vallée mm-hmm. that I yep. read as a kid. Yep. And uh, th- these were window areas, you know, th- yep. th- that was yes. one of the Keel's yes. uh, ideas. And the, uh, 
we we by, by the early 2000s when my son Ben joined me at the age of 13 after much discussion <laughs> with his mom uh, we, we we started our first what we call flap area case uh, in central Connecticut that's still going on 16 years later and you name it, it it's it's and we always run into the military in these flap area cases and I have a possible explanation for that I have an, an idea but uh, so yeah definitely I think these things are related uh, because the processes behind them are the same uh, and we actually had to invent terms. Uh, to just talk about these concepts that because people weren't talking about it, uh, some when, else when, super life, facet, uh, uh, the uh, intersect points, overwashes, the flashing nexus, and uh, <laughs> that you know, these like are all things. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, these are all things that they came up that there weren't any words for, so we invented some. Yeah, that's fantastic. You know, oh, and that's something we have. Been, uh, since jo- uh, Josh and I have known each other since high school, but high school, but since we started working the show, we immediately came together and shared that we both had that same idea of all these things being related. And so, whenever we cover topics, a lot of times we will take a look. I mean, one thing yeah. that we, one big one for us was the Enfield poltergeist. That at the same time was a huge uh, UFO flap and a number of Bigfoot sightings, all within right. like a fifty mile radius of yep. the. Uh, the home there uh, on Green Street. It's just absolutely fascinating. This whole thing happened over a year yep. and this huge flap of UFOs and cryptid yep. sightings was happening too. And, and no one reported on it. Yeah, I mean, what's, what's really crazy is everybody talks about the haunting and then they'll talk about the UFO flap or they'll, or they'll talk about the Bigfoot sightings, but, but no one ever really talks about all of it holistically together and, and how it's all related. Yeah. So. Well, I think, uh, well, another example would be uh, the uh, Bridgeport poltergeist case in Connecticut in 1974. And William J. Hall, I wrote about it in a couple of book chapters here and there, but William J. Hall was the first one to write uh, an entire book about the thing. And I I was there for the whole thing, and he, there was stuff that I didn't know that he found out. Uh, Unfortunately, it was so many years later, you had me and a bunch of uh, 80-year-old retired cops as the only witnesses <laughs> yeah. and uh he didn't talk to lorraine warren who was still alive at the time but nevertheless he he really got in there and i said to him when he interviewed me find out if you can about the neighbors check MUFON files and see if there are uh, was it was a, a spike in ufo sightings at the mm-hmm. time you know as early as that was and sure enough from what he could find there were uh even at warren would call them spillover phenomena he didn't really get it <laughs> i think as far as uh you know, the multiverse and all that was concerned. Yeah. You know, it was all demons and stuff. Uh, but I, Bill Hall really kind of kind of dug it out. And had we known, again, had we known then what I think we know now, then then we may have uh, pushed the envelope of that case. But it was pretty wild anyway. So, Yeah, I mean, one, one of the things that I've been uh, monkeying with over the last general month or so is taking, like I took, uh, downloaded the files for all the new fork sightings uh, that's in their database up until like 2020. Um, All the Bigfoot Class A sightings. I've got a report for all, or download for all the Dogman sightings, Um, but I'm basically trying to pull all these together. I'm loading them into Google Earth and then looking to see if there's any commonalities between where they're sighted or 
uh, like I, I did some ley line overlays to see, you know, is there any correlation? You know, are there a lot of intersect points of ley lines where this stuff is happening? So just kind of uh, doing all the boring data stuff. But I mean, it, it's it's really interesting that, you know, I'm doing that now with the technology that I have. You all were doing it then with, <laughs> you Not know, much. Yeah. <laughs> Well, our high tech, the, the the Pomfret and Bridge. Well, well, the the, the Bridgeport case. Uh, I I was home from the seminary on vacation. I was just going down to have dinner with Ed and Lorraine Warren, and I didn't even know this was happening. And uh, you know, again, nobody had phones in their cars, and you didn't know until right. you got there. So uh, you know, I walk, uh, I drive up to their house, which is at the end of a cul-de-sac, and Lorraine comes leaping out, comes leaping out the door, and says, "Are you in a high spiritual state right now?" And in fact, I was in a terrible spiritual state because I was trying to decide whether to leave the Roman Catholic Church and join the Orthodox Church and go to their seminary. Uh, and I, so I said, naturally, I said, oh, yeah, I'm great. What's going on? Let's go. <laughs> and um, so then we were down there for three days and all the hell broke loose. But um, uh, it was, um, again, you know, if, if uh, it's funny, the circumstances that come together to, to bring these things uh to fruition, but it was um, no no Bigfoot sightings that I'm aware because you're in the second largest city in Kennedy. It's probably not going to be stomping down Lindley right. Street, right? <laughs> but uh, plenty of UFOs uh, sightings and uh, things of that kind that occurred. And you, you look at the, um, the the geotechnics of an area too. All these things are the ducks that are lined up. I think, you know, so it's, it's not just cryptids and UFOs. Mm -hmm. uh, you have sandy soils, high water tables. Uh, Bridgeport is right, really right on. Uh, the ocean or the Long Island Sound anyway. And so it's a matter of um, uh, looking for patterns as you've been doing, Josh, which I think is a terrific idea and getting the data. One thing I might advise uh, you to look for too, because we found it, is changes in public behavior. Hmm. Now in central Connecticut, and we're still going through police reports for, you know, for the last 16 years, there was an outbreak of uh, people driving on the wrong side of the road. This is after the military was there huh. and uh, people because there were accidents when that was noticed in the press and social media, it uh, became people driving off the road and hitting trees in, in ludicrous numbers, uh, statistically speaking, for the population of this area. Mm. And then when that was noticed, there was an outbreak of suicides. There was a very weird tower on, on top of Mohawk Mountain uh, <laughs> yeah, we, in this area. And there's your garden variety cell tower. You know, everybody knows that. Yep. And then this very strange thing. And, uh, you know, I had military experience, but, you know, 100 years ago. So, you know, we were practically st still rowing boats. But anyway. So, <laughs> where, where, you know, where when you were talking about the people driving along the road and people driving off hit trees, people hitting suicides, what it sounded and reminded me of is the stuff that was happening in the town with, during the Montauk project. I mean, I'm sure mm. you're familiar with the Montauk project. Sure. So, I never worked on it, but I'm familiar with it. Yeah. But, I mean, so, you know, they were pointing this this dish it, at the town, and these crime sprees were happening and all this kind of stuff. And then, so I'm thinking down that line of thinking when you're talking about this, and then you're like, and then there was a weird tower, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> there you go. So. Well, Central Connecticut is right across Long Island Sound from Long Island. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, whether that has anything to do with it, but around uh, about 2009, and this is in the, we call it the Litchfield Triangle. I mean, that, that's just a research area. You don't know where stuff ends and begins. Uh, the, the case has expanded to about 330 square miles at this point and over into the Hudson Valley of New York. There were uh, ground troop movements, and they didn't care who knew it. 2009 and 2010, they were centered around this farm. We've come to call it the Funny Farm. 
uh, where there's no farming. And it was a bunch of broken down buildings. Uh, that that uh, has since been uh, fixed up. All the buildings have been replaced. There's still no farming. Uh, government type trucks are coming and going. Uh, we have uh, one of our shows has a our show has a, a crazy producer, who uh, full time job is behavioral science and, and, and she, she works in that area. She just goes right up, walks right up the road when the gate is open. You're gonna get arrested or shot. Don't do that. But she's gotten some amazing photos, and we, we've got a lot of plans for that. And we did run into a radio uh, uh, expert, a civilian, who said that uh, it, was, it happened to be at a lecture. And all of a sudden he said, you know, I, you're talking about this farm in, in Connecticut. I installed all sorts of radio equipment there that has no business on a farm. Sounds and, like uh, uh, right across the road, <laughs> Yeah. Right across the road is a property owned by the U.S. Army with a very weird windowless building. But I can go on and on about this. Yeah. But the question is, why do we run into the military in every single flat yeah. area? And, and six, including Randlesham Forest in England that we've been investigating. Yeah. You know, it's and, interesting. Uh, uh, I was going to say is it's interesting because since I've been here, a lot of the things that people say to me since I've moved to Phoenix is, have you seen have you seen people driving on the wrong side of the highway yet? And I will tell you, I've been here <laughs> since October. I've seen it three times. And um, everyone says it's so weird. There's always people. Somebody's driving on the wrong side of the highway. You know, Phoenix hmm. is already kind of a weird spot. But now you got me thinking. I'm like, what else do I need to be looking up? Yeah. Well, I'm going to remember that when I'm renting a car out of Sky Harbor. In yeah, watch out. I've seen yeah, it three right. times, mostly at night, you know, and you can see it come in and things like that. And they're on the they're all the way over because they know, oh, shit, I'm on the wrong side of the My highway. My mother would but... do that, but she was kind of a character. So. <laughs> well, I mean, I... Yeah, when we were we were there, uh, my wife and I uh, just a, like a month or so ago. I, I don't know, time's weird, but anyways, <clears throat> and um, we got an alert on uh, the Google Maps navigation thing. You know, watch out, car on the wrong side of the road ahead. It's like yeah. Apparently, it's a phenomenon here in Phoenix. <laughs> Which always, you know, I can understand if you're on ramp and you're and you're off ramp for you know it's like right next to each other. But most of the places out there, it's not, and so it's just you just know, like it's anywhere else. Paying attention, I guess. But yeah, yeah. Um, so um, uh, talking a little bit, and, and I'm going to ask the question: What are, What are your thoughts on um, uh, the whole dumb uh, DUMB uh, underground base stuff? Well, underground bases are not that rare at all. In, in maybe it's underground base, it's like saying conspiracy theory. I mean, history is full of conspiracies yeah. that were real, right? You know, and underground bases are are, are are not unusual at all in the military world. Uh, I worked on one or two of them, and I was in uh, well, it was stuff I couldn't talk about. And then later on, I was in the U.S. Coast Guard, and I love cats. I see the cat here. He's like, oh, we're talking about dumb things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I don't really know. I think that uh, there there is uh, evidence of underground uh, ventilation in, on this funny farm I mentioned in Connecticut. Yeah. Mm. The um, the question is why there. I, I think that people would be fine with aliens. Out from some other planet, we we all grew up with Mister Spock, mm-hmm. and the Planet of the Apes, and Chewbacca, and all these guys. I don't think anybody had any problem with that. But if this multi, there you go. If this multiverse <laughs> thing is true, then they're not far away. Uh, you, yeah. you could say that our greatest nightmares and and, and our most wonderful uh, uh, memories and 
and the hopes and dreams are right next to us all the time. I think that could be what they're trying to hide. Uh, because I don't think people could deal with that. They wouldn't understand it. And if they did, they'd probably be terrified of it. And in some cases, rightly so. Uh, think of the, uh, don't underestimate the industrial possibilities uh, and the commercial possibilities. You know, every, everything comes down to money. Yeah. You know, I don't care. The countries say they're communist and it's all baloney. It's all about money, no matter what your system is or who you are. Uh, you know, unless you have spiritual advancement in yourself, but that's another thing. So, I mean, I, I think that they're really uh possibilities for um you know they, wouldn't we love first of all to weaponize the paranormal mm -hmm. oh, and yeah. the, the principles involved wouldn't we love to commercialize the paranormal imagine you know eliminating trucks and trains and being able to transport huge amounts of cargo uh through some sort of uh, membrane where it's you know already there yeah. and then the consciousness it's just it, possibilities are endless so I think that that may be the reason for any underground bases or, or whatever is happening. Uh, then, of course, people are talking about, um, you know, alien uh, aliens and this sort of thing uh, cooperating. Well, what does alien mean? Is it necessarily from some other planet? Uh, are they what they appear to be? Are they are they good? W would they treat us as equals? There are all sorts of questions. Yeah. There and then Stan yeah. Friedman has put it best. Today is his. Would have been his 87th birthday. Yeah, we were way. just talking about that. Yeah, yeah. They, wonderful, wonderful. Real gentleman and a true scientist. Yeah. Uh, he, he said, um, we are a primitive species whose primary activity is tribal warfare. Why would they want to talk to us? Yeah. So, yes. Well, and, 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 and honestly, that's uh, – and, and we, we typically – our response to unusual things has not been good historically. So no. – uh, given given our warring nature, so to speak, anything that uh, kind of you know being spun today as you know the potential threat, uh, we would likely either attack or seek to um, basically control. So, I think yeah, that's largely correct. I think sure. Yeah, and it's like you had said earlier. You know, it's like aliens. Yeah, I think we're all prepped for that. I mean, just like I said, we've had years and years of sci-fi movies getting us ready for that and there's not as many sci-fi movies out there that deal with ultra terrestrials or multi-dimensional yeah. or even you know shaver mystery hollow earth stuff you don't, know, don't like, get me going on that <laughs> oh, we, we could spend we could spend all night talking that topic that's oh, yeah. our, oh, yeah. our bread that's, and butter yeah so. that's we love this stuff we're, we're, always, we're always involved in you know being a, a, approached by producers who think you know th this is a great idea it's time for something new time for something authentic uh, everybody's sick of the dumb shows of people running out of houses and screaming. You know, they, you know, they want something else. Uh, and then some big executive will come along, the head of the network, and say, no, I want my ghosts to be ghosts, and my demons to be demons, and my aliens to be aliens, da 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 da, da. So we, we get nowhere. Uh, but you know, there are always, as Mr. Spock would say, there are always possibilities. So there's a lot of irons on the fire, and I, I'm getting up there in years, so whatever's going to happen on the media-wise, I hope it happens quickly. Same. Yeah, I mean, I you know a a, a movie about the uh, Dulce New Mexico uh, event that was explained by Philip, that would be a fantastic movie, uh, and it kind of gets into that whole, you know, ultra terrestrial potential or yeah. underground bases or whatever the case may be. That would be a good. I'd watch that. Oh yeah, I'd yeah. I'm not sure what I think of that story. I mean, I don't know the people involved, and and that's something because when they threw me out of the seminary for investigating this stuff in 1977, <laughs> I ended up a, uh, I was never ordained. People think I'm a former priest. That's, I never, uh, I think the church and I both had a lucky escape. Uh, 
But uh, I ended up in journalism by dumb luck. The only other thing I could do was write. And I shoehorned my way into the worst newspaper in New England. And then they hired me. And I kind of made the best of that and took it from there. And I have had a great career in journalism uh, since then. But <laughs> but um, anyway, dumb luck, I guess. But uh, no pun intended. You, know, I just, you ask, <laughs> it, 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 it prompts you to ask weird questions like this. Oh, yeah. I mean, I. You know, it's uh, since I've gotten so involved, especially since really doing the show, I've always been interested in the topic, especially of UFOs and extraterrestrials. But since I've gotten into the show um, about two years ago when I started, um, I find like questioning everything and asking if there's a deeper meaning behind the most mundane things that most people would just not take a second thought about. You know, I had a period of time eight months ago um, where I was uh, really struggling with a lot of things on the spiritual level. And I would find that I would ask a question and three buzzards would fly around me. Mm. And I, and I established, you know, some sort of a, a, a meaning to that. So then I would ask another question later or propose another theory and three buzzards would fly by me, you know? So it's just like, it was, was that, is it just three buzzards that happened to be flying around or, you know, did I, you know, was it meant for me to see or, or is it both? So, yeah. Well, I don't know if I'd be happy being circled by buzzards, but I, might, but I get your right. point. You might need to shower. Yeah. <laughs> Synchronicities, as they say. Right. Uh, which, of course, gets into the nature of reality, you know, the, the, the hologram theory, things of this mm-hmm. kind, uh, which I, I think personally is a multiverse theory, just the other side of the coin. Yeah. So, uh, and the meanings, the synchronicities. Uh, is there something behind uh, controlling it? I mean, if the, if it is a hologram, who's doing the projecting? Yeah, you know, is it God? I mean, what what does God even mean? Is what it is he, she, it, yeah. or them, or you know, uh, what does alien mean? Just, we, we, yeah. We're big on ours. We have to define our terms. Yep. and that's not easy to do because we have a very narrow paradigm. Well, and and I think that. If you were to ask uh, people who predominantly investigate Bigfoot what they think of aliens, you're going to get one response. If you ask people who predominantly investigate ghosts what they think is alien, they're going to get a different response. You know, so, so you're not going to get a universally applied definition for alien or any of that kind of stuff because, again, everybody's looking at it through their lens yes. instead of the lens of this is all one big thing. We need to come together and define these things directly. And then that way, when we look at these things, we can all look at them with the same definition and see if they meet or fall outside of whatever that definition is. Well, I think one thing that's hopeful, Josh and Stefan, is is that, and I get this sort of from speaking at a lot of UFO conventions. Uh, ben, my son, and I are invited to speak uh, a lot of them. Uh, I don't know why. It's not that really the center of our field, but and we're only writing our first book on that subject. But uh, we're well well received there, and and so is the idea of the uh, the crossover phenomena, as it's often known. Mm-hmm. Uh, UFO experts, will, uh, such as Kathy Martin. Uh, years ago right. uh, would consult with us uh, and you know now and then uh, today too uh, she would have an abduction case and all of a sudden the people are having uh, quote unquote demonic phenomena taking place in right the, what's the connection or why would that occur and so we kind of work on that um, uh, not we're not invited so much to speak at paranormal conventions because uh, I think we're bad for business uh, we, you know we question all their theories and uh <laughs> 
But uh, there, there is, I think, a, a growing awareness, certainly in the UFO community, and, and there's a certain point in the paranormal community, uh, in the ghost type people, that there is a certain uh, crossover reality that's going on here. You know, much that we've talked about uh, is becoming an acceptable subject, I think, at many of these conventions. You know, just to one degree or another, and I think that's a hopeful sign. Yeah, definitely starting, you know, especially with us, the people we interview, we interview a lot of people. I mean, we just had Kathleen on as well, things like that. And we are starting to see more of it. I don't know if it's us psychically grabbing folks that relate to us or not, or we are starting to see more of the community finally starting to come together. Even some of these old um, established guys are finally starting to kind of break out of um, the old part yeah right like uh, <laughs> one of our mentors and friends is keith age he's the rock and roll ghost hunter and he's a really good friend of ours and he's been doing this for years and years and years and even when we met him two and a half years ago like he was pretty stone solid on things just simply paranormal ghost things but over the like last few years like like the more conversations we have the more i start to see him wondering about connections and things it's just it's interesting to see how everything is starting to change things like hellier and then the stuff with the government uap release and all of these different things people are starting to question whether or not these are connected and and maybe it's all the reality shows that are out there and things like that it's just a little more popular i don't know but i'm I'm glad that we're finally starting to come together a tad bit more yeah you know i was on the air with with jason hawes from ghost hunters whom i really don't know he's from rhode island too yeah and uh they approached me in 2003 before they got famous and said you know and i said no i don't really think the approach is great (laughs) but uh jason and i were uh, i forget what show it was and we were we were talking and i I was i was rather impressed with him yeah i was uh surprised that i was i expected you know the garden variety dead people thing but he uh, he seemed to come across as having an open mind, very articulate, and he was describing a, um, a case that they'd had in the hotel where the quote-unquote ghost was asking, uh, were they from security? You know, and I run into that time and time and time again if you're open-minded to the idea, and I find that the, the ghosts we're investigating very often think we're ghosts haunting them. Yes, because yes. Because they because they see us in the same way we see them across an electrically charged membrane right. of a paranormal reality. You, you're going to see a glowing figure or a shadow or something like that. And um, we run into that all the time. Now, had we not had this point of view, we wouldn't have picked up on that. We would have but been maybe confused. It's kind of like, in, in our, I relate it to this. So if you're, I've got a big uh, picture window in my uh, dining room area. And at nighttime, you know, it's it's pitch black in my backyard. But if I've got just a little bit of light on in the in the kitchen, um, I see a reflection of myself in that window because, of course, it acts like a mirror. Um, stuff, huh? Yeah, it is. Um, but it's it's double painted, and so I see like a an offset reflection of myself mm-hmm. in that mirror. And that's kind of what I imagine we see of them and they see of us it's it's like a shadowy not really full full on mirror reflection but it's it's something there that you just can't explain it's kind of fuzzy and it's offset and um you know one of the things that i i thought about this has been like 20 years ago and i was i was thinking about was uh, when you dream at night uh do the do the kind of uh, uh bubbles of our two universes kind of brush up against each other and so when they do that do you potentially dream 
your counterpart's life or your counterpart's dreams in that other kind of multiverse as you're you know those universes are like bubbles floating through a cosmic goo and they just kind of brush up against each other as they pass yeah that's a wonderful point i have a, a written dream record that i've kept for over 20 years that's fantastic and, <laughs> yeah and uh, it's you know i i go back to that i look and, and and i it comes right back to me and i'll tell you how, how it got really weird that way uh, I, I was an editor, a, a night editor at the Providence Journal, which is the Metro Daily around here. And, uh, you know, you put out the morning paper the night before. So it was a very long hours, you know. So, And I'd come home, you know, one, two in the morning. And then I'd get up early to take my sons to the school school bus because my wife had, was uh, in the law business and had, you know, nine to five hours you couldn't change. So uh, I would nap in the afternoon in order to make up for the sleep. So I found that that the pattern of broken sleep, I remembered far more dreams. Mm. And I always would write them down immediately. All right. So as I say, I have well over 20 years of these things. There are places, and I do believe there are places, parallel realities, where I have uh, life memories. Uh, I know all the people. Uh, There is, for example, a cafe or little restaurant on the corner of some town in Pennsylvania where my wife and I frequently stop. This is all in dreams. Yeah. Know? And uh, there, there are, uh, of course, uh, parallel realities, and there are some that are so vivid. Uh, and for example, at one point I was uh, stand, I was here in New England, and I was standing in front of a stone wall, and I, the, the gate into this garden I wanted to get into, I couldn't open it. So I said, okay, and, and at my age, maybe it's uh, out of the... the book of Joel, you know, old men will dream dreams and that sort of thing. Uh, I, I just decided I'm going to, most of my dreams are lucid. So I said, I'm going to fly over the wall. So I did that and I, I there were leaves coming off a maple tree and I grabbed one. I felt that leaf. I felt its veins and, and then I woke up and I still felt its, I felt yeah. that leaf was in my hand and I was perfectly prepared to have it be there when I opened my hand because it wasn't. So I think it, this is a whole fascinating world. And I think you're right, uh, Josh, that, that we're experiencing, I think in some cases, at least parallel parallel worlds. Yeah, I mean, for example, like, uh, same thing. I, I've had a not a recurring dream, but a continuing dream since I was a child. I mean, it has hmm. picked up the next chapter. I mean, for years and years and years, uh, it always deals with vampires and werewolves and things, things no like dear. that. No, so dear. At least and, I have pleasant dreams. Yeah, no, <laughs> and they always evolve and things like that. And then I got into a phase in my life where I think things were going really well, and all of a sudden I became like a vampire hunter and, and kind of thing. But it <laughs> always picked up. They always remember. And I would revisit locations um, and, I, I like, schools and things like that that I went to. They never look like the actual school I went to, but they look the same every time I go in my dream. It's so crazy. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And then yeah. just like you, one of my favorite books, uh, he did the same thing was Jack Kerouac has a book called Book of Dreams where he cataloged his dreams for a really long extended period of time. And it's fascinating because you do, you start to see parallels in all of his dreaming and, and things like that. And I'm like, man, I hope you publish yours one day because I'll read it. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the uh, one of the fascinating things, uh, and, and I, I learned this in talking to J- Dr. Jeffrey Long, who's an expert in uh, uh, near-death experience. He's an MD, and we, we serve on the, on the board of the uh, Consciousness and Contact Research Institute together. That's how I know him. And I was describing some of these to him, and I said, you know, the, the vivid nature 
I said, I really don't think I'd ever had a near-death experience except once when I was in atrial fibrillation and had pneumonia and ended up in the hospital for 10 days. And I, I saw something I would never expect. I saw a, um, a lizard. You know, I'm not big on reptiles, and most people aren't, <laughs> but I mean, it was utterly beautiful. It was multicolored, and it was looking out of this cave and very benign. And he said, and, and the vivid nature of it was really strange. And he said, that, that's a, a, a near-death experience characteristic, is a, a very, very vivid visions. I said, well, I'll go to one better. I have dreams like that. Sometimes when I'm awake as well, there will be something that will flash into my mind that I feel is from a parallel world. And it is more real than real, you know, utterly vivid, whether it be, you know, landscape or people or whatever. And he's, so he's, he's chewing on that one. <laughs> We're going to have him on our show. We're going to talk about that. So, I, you know, whether there's some relationship between uh, crossing the membranes and certainly the death experience. I think it's, yeah. a, or we don't even call it death. We call it translation. It's a very, very ancient uh, theological term for the uh, changing consciousness, if you will. Uh, so anyway, but that's uh, something that's being looked into. Yeah, I mean, I I, um, I have had a couple of uh, vivid dreams. About, I mean, I, I just had one two nights ago mm-hmm. that felt uh, so so amazingly real uh, I woke up and it was about my what had to do with my wife. So I woke up and, and made sure I wrote it down so that I could tell her about it, so she could decide what she wanted to do with the information that was uh, passed along. But it it felt uh, in like I was telling Stefan before the show started. It, it felt so. Um, it didn't feel like a dream. It felt more like a conveyance of information. <laughs> um, you know, you know, almost like a we want you to take this back with you type thing. Um, I have uh, I have only had a lucid dream uh, one time in my life. Uh, I was a, a gangster, uh, or no, sorry, I was a, I was a police officer. I was uh, down on a pier or like a dock or something, and I was trying to arrest these two guys, and they started shooting shooting at me, and uh, I realized it was a dream. Um, I uh, immediately then could fly, and I had double Uzis that I could shoot back at them. So, <laughs> Um, but uh, but but I I do have uh, quite a few very vivid dreams that I Same. wake up and remember every aspect of, um, and you know it's it's just really uh, interesting. You you know you see yourself doing things that um, are not necessarily out of the realm of possibility, and and you know you just wonder if if that's you know did my brain just invent that or am I dreaming myself somewhere else. You should keep a dream record too. It would be like a Tom Clancy novel. You know, I, I would I would love to, but um, two things. One, my handwriting is like chicken scratch. Um, and and two, I, I write very vigorously and when I do my hand like hurts after audio. Like, audio record. That's I've yeah, got yeah, or that or well, that's what they have computers for, Josh. Yeah, I know, I know. I, <laughs> but then I gotta walk down to my computer, you know, and turn it on and <laughs> but no, I um, you know, I, I thought about doing because uh, I do have a little audio recorder. I could just do audio files and then mm-hmm. transcribe That's them. That's what so. I did for a long time because the uh, same thing when I write when I would wake up. And my, I have really good handwriting, but as soon as you wake up, you don't because you're just trying to hurry up and write it down. Right. And um, and yeah, so I just started recording and then I did it later. So it makes a big mm. difference. So um, I, I don't know. 
wanted to ask the question and I, and I totally blinked on what it was that I was going to ask. Oh, Stefan, well, do you have... Yeah, I was going to bring up because I really wanted to talk about the work with your son because to me, that's so rad and so cool. Like, I, as you said, he got into this with you when he was 13 or 14. I would have loved that <laughs> um, to get into that. And so I'm sure already, you know, just you being his dad, he's already found an interest and things like that. But, you know, how's that been getting to work with your son all these years now? <laughs> well, it's a, it's a real blessing. Now, he has an older brother. And I, I got the idea at one point, uh, you know, in the late 90s. I mean, Ben was, ben was born in 92. Uh, that I wondered if uh, blood relatives had similar or the same reactions to paranormal stimuli, as it yeah, were. Yeah, we in, talk in, about that for sure. Back. Yeah, and uh, the, the first experiment was with a cousin, and with, there was a library, a li little country library in Abington, Connecticut, uh, where they were having uh, the uh, spontaneous manifestation of water on the cellar stairs. I mean, there was no leak, uh, no pipes anywhere near it, you know, in the middle of a dry summer, and all this water is dripping off these stairs, and, and the, they never rotted the stairs. And uh, I brought my uh, cousin Marshall from Connecticut, who was a uh, uh, carpenter, had some carpentry experience. And uh, he, we did have the same kind of stimuli. And he's worked with us on a couple of cases, but I, I kind of cast my eyes toward my son. And my older son, Jonathan, was interested, but he started sleeping with the light on. And I said, no, this is not going to work. Yeah, yeah. But Ben was eight years younger. Uh, in 2005, we we had, I brought him on two cases after discussing very seriously with his mom uh, whether we should do this. But they, <laughs> they they sat through 200 of my lectures, the two of them selling books in the back of the room, and they knew all this. And Ben was totally at home with it. So uh, one of our first cases was, of course, the the Connecticut flap area, and I have pictures of him as a little kid, not a little kid, but 13 with our first video camera, people get a big charge out of that. And the other the other case was the haunted policeman of Vermont, as we called it. And we got out of that car in this you know rural Vermont uh, area, and we were didn't even have to talk to one another. We were drawn to this one tree where we felt something was going on, something very negative in a parallel world, two men fighting actually, and you know, whatever future, past, I don't know. But there was a parasite, what I would have thought years ago was a demon, quote unquote, folklore calls them demons, feeding upon this. And it would, when it couldn't get enough to eat from that, it would go into the house and start bothering the people. Now, now, the, now the police officer said, it's funny you should describe it like that because whenever my fiance and I have a fight, and apparently they had some, some Olympic style fights, uh, they, they would uh, this thing would come into the apartment and, and start knocking things off shelves. They'd actually see it, uh, the, the, this big, huge shadow thing walking around. And Ben actually got a picture of it, and it's in one of our books, and uh, with the, the guy's father standing uh, in front of it. And uh, I, I was afraid to show Ben the picture. I said, he's going to really freak him out. But he was really cool with it. He said, Luke looks just like a black rider from Lord of the Rings, and he thought that was great. <laughs> so he's been a natural ever since. I would have him by my side anytime. You know, now he's, he's going to be 30 next year. And uh, people actually uh, heard him grow up on the air. He yeah, started on the cool. air with me when he was 16, and he was the youngest syndicated broadcaster in America when, when we were on CBS 
uh, in Forest City. So uh, it, I'm really proud to, to, to be working with him. He's uh, very different. He has some different, <laughs> different uh, gifts. But people write to us from all over the world, you know, saying, gee, I wish I had a, something in common with my son, you know, anything. Yeah. Stanton Friedman once turned to us and said, I envy you to Ben. And he said, I envy you to me. Because uh, a lot, a lot of people would love to have uh, be working with their sons like that. So I, I, I feel I'm really blessed. Yeah, it's interesting because I found out a lot of stuff about uh, my dad, who had a very early interest in paranormal things, but he never talked about it. There were a number of reasons, um, but my my grandmother and my aunt were both really big into spiritualism and the New Age movement and uh, different things like this. My great aunt is who I met. My great aunt and my grandmother they were sisters, and my great aunt was a high priest of a coven out in California. Oh I mean, all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah. That I didn't find out till years later. Huh. Also, my dad w- would always go to these like you know these conventions and things like that or these meetings and all the stuff with them and he was really big into automatic writing and astral travel and transcendental meditation and all this stuff this was the 60s you know and uh i guess i found out and he finally told me that he what freaked him out is he had learned how to astral travel from this yogi and he was going to try it so him and his uh him and his buddy his buddy had just moved uh or no dad had just moved to a new house and him and his buddy were going to go to each other's house that was their plan and um dad something i something about dad went there something but he went there and uh dad couldn't explain anything what he saw so he wasn't sure if he was there but this kid explained exactly what dad's room looked like he had never been there and all kinds of stuff like that and it freaked him out so much that he like walked away from he went back and looked at all of his all like automatic writings and all of a sudden he was finding connections and what we would call synchronicities now mm-hmm. and being the catholic you know it, it freaked him out and he j- just threw everything away and walked away from it and wouldn't ever talk about it it's only been now uh within the last two or three years because i have this show that he's starting to open up about some of that i'm like man this would have been so cool if you <laughs> oh you're, you're lucky you still have it well, well my father yeah. was fascinated by the unexplained now he didn't have the exotic connections your father did yeah but he was a cousin of hv lovecraft i don't know if he knew it and he they, they corresponded according to my mother and like in the 1920s and 30s mm-hmm. And because uh, my, my mother uh, threw all the letters out. I mean, I could have uh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but he was fascinated. But that's where I got my, my love of the unexplained was really from, from his interest. He had a gigantic scrapbook of how the world might end, you know, and, you know, the floods are dry up. And, you know, but that not the most pleasant reading for a kid, but I was fascinated. Yeah. And um, so, so I think that uh, we do inherit these we things from. Do. Uh, and, and I look back and I see now. Because I was always interested in the occult, supernatural, all this different stuff. And he would always try to discourage it. Hmm. And not in a you're going to hell kind of way. It was always just, uh, you don't you don't want the you know, and now I That's you know, the best now, way to encourage it. Oh, and that's exactly what it did. <laughs> I mean, yeah. and then of course when I found out from my uh my great aunt's daughter about some of those things oh man i hit my grandmother up and she's like yeah mm-hmm. i didn't want me talking about it she had a, sp- a spirit guy i mean all kinds of stuff and it just fed me <laughs> yeah yeah well uh, i have know, no history like that. Out. Yeah. <laughs> no history like that for me I've, I'm, I'm the first generation i guess so. southern baptist that's why catholics <laughs> catholics we we act like we aren't into paranormal spooky stuff you know but there, there are a lot more catholics 
interested in stuff because Catholicism is really pretty supernatural um, at the end of the day. So, yeah, well, people in all religions seem to, uh, you know, they, they kind of approach it in their own ways, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. so including yeah. Catholic. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's why to this day I'm just fat. I'm a big horror movie fan and I really love demon things or exorcism mm. things. Anything that has <laughs> to do with the, I love it. Like, you know, just because that's the stuff that scared me when I was a kid. So, yeah. So I, I, I never remembered the question I was going to ask, but you said something and it prompted another question. So you were talking about uh, just a few minutes ago doing the um, talking about the parasite that was feeding off of um, the the two guys fighting and then we're going to the house and and feed off of the conflict in there. One of the things that um, I've thought about a couple years ago, Stefan has night hags quite a bit. Uh, we and then he has a friend uh, that used to be on the show that has night hags quite a bit, and one of the things that I uh, thought about is is you know are night hags um, uh, a a some sort of a of a of an entity that feeds off of the fear that is generated from you being in sleep paralysis and kind of halfway coming awake and seeing them in your room and then they you get afraid and so they feed off of that kind of fear energy that is produced and it and then you know you talked about this, this parasite and it made me think you know maybe that's it's what you know commonality there so yeah i i think that, that that that's pretty much barking up the right tree uh in my opinion the uh the, the these parasites uh, and there are about nine different species of them that I've identified over the years. I think they uh, operate in different ways. They seem to have a culture. Uh, they seem to be living life forms. I've had physical encounters with them, including one in that Bridgeport case of '74, and that smashed my belief system because these <laughs> were supposed to be demons, which by by definition would be spirits. And they called into question the whole idea of spirits to me, at least in, in uh, the laws of physics as they are. So yeah, I think you're uh, you're pretty much on the right track there, Josh. Um, they can't. They're often parasites that we've seen in cases that will take very benign forms. Uh, for example, in a, in a 1990s case we had in Rhode Island here. Uh, there would be a parasite, two parasites, and one they would they, they seem to move from one person in the family to the other. In most cases, mm-hmm. the, yeah. and I, I call them farmers. These kinds, uh, and they will literally farm a family sometimes for generations. And in this case, uh, the the people would see a, a a little blonde girl with flowers in her hair. Now, what what could be more benign than that? And it turned out it was a parasite. You know, mm. they push buttons. They, they'll get you know. They're, they're very good at this. They're nature's mimics among yeah. nature's mimics. So yeah, I think it's the first day of school when it comes to quote-unquote demons yeah and for sure i mean you know i always think about and we've talked about this before too josh i mean at usually after a night of a night hag visitation i am definitely mentally drained my anxiety and depression stuff is really kicking in um you know i'm I'm moody my buttons are easily pushed and and things like that and it's 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 very interesting for sure and i think it's interesting too that the last couple of times because i've been putting this thought into your head that maybe you know you shouldn't fear them and so the last couple of times that you've been able to interact with them (laughs) and ask them about it the response has been no you should definitely fear us but obviously in a more creepy way so if the if the intent is to solicit fear energy from you 
then that would be why they want you to fear them. So, well, yeah, exactly. I think that that's essentially how it works. Um, there, there was one case <clears throat> was in Indiana where we had a, a parasite victim, as we would put it, who said that the, that the, the, the parasite was uh, expressing sorrow for the way it had to live and that it had to pick on him. Now that, now I don't know if I buy that on its face, but uh, I have heard of that once or twice in one of my own cases that, that supposedly happened. Now, does that mean these things are, you know, former humans or some kind of mutants or something? I mean, possibly, but I've never seen really any humanity in these things. In the Bridgeport case of 74, on the Monday night of that case, uh, the Warrens uh, had left to do some TV interview, and I was alone with the family, and we were attacked by the four entities. I felt there were four entities the minute I walked into that house, and you could almost see them, and this is when I had this physical encounter, and they came across, and the best word I, I can use is utterly alien. <laughs> These were aliens, and I'm not saying from some other planet necessarily yeah. or like that, but uh, there, there was just no humanity there. Uh, completely other uh, totally uncaring and uh, very intelligent and uh, hostile and hungry hostile and hungry yeah you know maybe that's where the uh, uh, maybe that's where the wendigo comes into play it's not really feeding on human flesh it's feeding on human energy yeah well we, the labels we put on these things maybe depend yeah. on our on our culture right you know, um but oh, yeah. I remember, you know, the whole Mothman thing. And I remember b- being a, a, a kid in the early 60s. And my, my mother would show me pictures from the, uh, and stories from the Hartford Current, wire stories about the, the giant bird they were seeing in West Virginia, right? And, uh, you know, today I talked to some of the surviving witnesses and I kind of come full circle. But um, there, there were all sorts of negative things that happened during that case. So when you have... What Keel would call a window area, or our, we'd say a flap area, intersect point, overwash, anything can come and go. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, whether it be UFOs, Bigfoot, parasites, uh, and it depends on who's ringing the dinner bell and for what. <laughs> yeah, you know, when, when we had when, when we were talking with with Kathleen Martin, I think uh, we were talking about the possibility that uh, when these, uh, you know, if, if it is a physical UFO that enters our uh, plane of existence. Uh, that when it does so and it produces a lot of electromagnetic energy does that electromagnetic electromagnetic energy also open the doorway for other things to come and go and so that's when you know when you have those flap or window uh, um, locations and you see a lot of ufo sightings is it more of a ufo sightings allow or enable the other things to come through as well yeah, as a matter of fact, in uh, May of 19, we were uh, on one of our expeditions to the uh, Pennsylvania Triangle, as we call it, which is a, <clears throat> you know, outside of Skinwalker Ranch is a very hopping kind of place. Uh, we were sitting there at, at night and we usually would stake out certain areas. But in this case, we were uh, Shane Searway thought we should skywatch and we had Shane Searway uh, and we had Alexander Petikoff, the filmmaker, there was myself and Chuck Credo from, from uh, Maine, Seacoast Saucers of New England. And Mark D'Antonio from MUFON was supposed to be there, but he couldn't make it and he'll suffer terrible anguish for the rest of his life because he didn't see what we saw. <laughs> uh, there was something in the sky 
Uh, I happen to have my brand new Beskarder uh, 300 uh, to, um, binoculars with infrared. Never used it before, and the bloody thing paid for itself right then and there. <laughs> they got almost three minutes of this this thing moving through the sky. It looked like uh, a, a crystal clear sky, cloud thing with an object coming out of it and going back into it. And it was darker than dark below it. And it looked for all the world like an artist's conception of an astronomical, whether it be a black hole or a white hole, you know, with things coming in. Yeah. And that area is full of intersect points. I myself had a Bigfoot encounter there. Uh, everybody, we have neighborhood meetings with 30, 35 people. They've all seen weird lights and Bigfoot. And I'm wondering uh, if this was not an intersect point. Well, I'm I'm thinking, you know, I'm you know, uh, I'm need I need to get some of these locations from you so that I can lay them on my uh, Google Earth map and see what else is uh, recorded on there or happening around that area. So yeah. Well, if you want to see that video, it's uh, the Facebook page of our show, Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, and it's uh, one of two uh, pretty remarkable videos there. But it's available for anybody to uh, yeah, cool. definitely going to check that out. Um, well, we. Uh, want to be cognizant of your time paul and uh so we wanted to get out of here but we do uh i of course gotta blow up behind the paranormal it's absolutely fantastic um and they can go to uh behind the paranormal.com uh find you and your son's books all kinds of really great stuff on there i mean my goodness sir thank you so much for taking your time and spending that with us tonight well thank you it's a real pleasure I did want to ask, uh, is there a, a book that you've read recently or are reading now that uh, you'd like to share with our audience? Oh, by me or someone else? <laughs> Doesn't <Either> matter. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't matter? Yeah, there's uh, Messengers of Deception by um, uh, Jacques Vallée, whom I'm just getting to know. And uh, real inspir- inspiration to me as a kid, and, and and very fascinating stuff about how UFOs can be used to control people. Not that they're not real, but how um, you know various uh, groups can uh, use it to influence mm. spirituality and yep. take away personal responsibility. Very very interesting approach. And he wrote it in 1979, and I think it's still very valuable. Yeah, Messengers of Deception by Dr. Jacques Vallée. Definitely Thank check you. it out. Yeah, I love Vallée. Definitely one of my heroes as well. Wonderful so. guy. Yeah. yeah. Yep very very cool okay. uh, again though yeah thank you so much sir uh you are welcome on here anytime uh and we will be shoving down people's throats all over your stuff because it's fantastic <laughs> yeah <laughs> well thank you so much as i say a real pleasure fellas another great big thank you to paul eno um <sighs> I'm like I said, I'm dumbfounded. Like, still, just yeah. I mean, my it, favorite conversations where I literally have to say we have to stop because of time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I you know, I um, it, it, this is one of the conversations that I chalk up there with like you know, when we had when we had the conversation with Tyler from Hellier, um. And, and, and uh, with Kathleen and, and Andrea, Perrin. Ralph and uh, Andrea. I mean, it's just it's just another you know fantastic conversation that really, um, again, it, it's an opportunity for us to express our opinions and theories and and to hear them kind of you know, um, you know responded back in a positive way and also um, to just you know open our minds to other possibilities that we may not have considered, like the whole idea around you know. Our, 
you know, the the whole carriage thing, and are we interacting with time somehow? Yeah, you know, yeah. Just, I mean, those are uh, that's something I've loosely thought about, but now that it's been brought to the surface, I'm like, oh, well, I already know that that's about to insert itself deeper into yeah. the screen. And I mean, I, I know that um, this weekend I'm going to be watching a lot of YouTube videos about what is quantum mechanics because that's it's like the third yeah. time that it's come up in a conversation. Just quantum mechanics, yeah. quantum physics, quantum computing. I'm just like, it is, it, it's around the corner, and it is definitely something i think that may end up explaining a lot of things but uh don't want to drag this out but again yeah. thank you paul eno yeah. uh behind the paranormal.com check out there make sure to listen to his radio show and just read those books what a fascinating individual. yeah um just a reminder before we get to our encounter of the fearscape uh to uh hopefully you know we get you guys to join our patreon uh, become a uh, significant blanket hugger um, patreon.com slash fearscape pod or uh, fearscapepodcast.com slash support there you can join our patreon uh, we've got some uh, behind the scenes things coming in the future some really neat stuff of course wristwatch is a part of that yeah. um, there has been some amazing things happening with terry um, he even yelled at us recently yeah, we, that got, was we got cool. yelled at that was awesome so <laughs> <laughs> because we're not jumping on checking yeah. out these you know. uh these window areas so to speak yeah um you what know you know, I mean, you know if if uh, you all would subscribe to our patreon we would have money to to book flights and go do all that kind of stuff for terry so help us out you know yeah because we want to go really bad and we don't want terry to yell at us anymore yeah so or the man claiming to be terry Riz. um but some really interesting things has happened there with uh multi-dimensional theories of some things that we've been working with alan greenfield on as well connecting I mean, us with uh the uh man claiming to be terry wrist who alan is and olav are both almost 99% certain that yep. we are speaking to Terry wrist. And so there has been some pretty interesting things out there. Some uh, questions I mean, that Olav and Alan have asked that only they know the answers to and answers have been given. So, I mean, really, even if you've never seen the docuseries Hellier and you have no plan to watch the docu docuseries Hellier, the stuff that we are being given uh, and the and the and the leads that we are being given and the rabbit holes that we are going down is still very interesting and I would encourage you to to maybe even just check out wristwatch for one month and just see if it contains information that you find interesting because again you you may not have had any exposure before to to Terry wrist may not know who he is may not know who Alan Greenfield is may not know yeah. what the hell you is but the information that's being provided and the leads that it's given is just still very astounding. I mean, we're getting into just like we talked about on the show today, deep underground military bases. We're getting yeah. into um, old deep space programs. Um, you know, yeah, uh, just stuff uh, going back to before NASA was found. Mystery you know? stuff. I mean, there yeah. is just some fascinating things, um, and we found some proof to a lot of stuff that has been given to us, and we are anxious to get out and look for some more. And more is coming. And uh, In, it's just fascinating. And, and again, I don't want to dwell on Terry. Yeah, stuff to no, but watch, but it's cool. Yeah, it definitely is a lot of cool stuff happening. And, and and it's crazy when you have things that you know come through on a Ouija board, and then you get an email from from the land claiming to be Terry Wrist that echoes those things right. that came again, through on a Ouija like board. Like we were talking so. about how things are very yeah. connected. 
um, and just all kinds of crazy stuff. But, uh, you yep. know, of course, there are other tiers as well, just tiers, for yeah. blanket huggers. I have nothing to do with wristwatch, or you can join the big tier and then you get everything. Right. Um, but uh, we are giving away free, you know, stuff as well uh, with different tiers. And uh, I, I'm just really excited about the people that have joined so far. And, and we just thank you guys so much. We can't do this with out you yep um so but now that that has been said josh i want to uh get to uh encounters from the fearscape so this week's encounter from the fearscape it comes from a um, a, a listener um, who didn't even want to tell us their state. Uh, this is another one of those that gets nervous um, about folks knowing uh, if it's them. Uh, but this comes from a listener named Robin. Uh, is a United States um, a citizen here. And uh, just check out, take a listen to this story. In 1990, I was about four months pregnant. Uh, My husband and I were living in a house that his aunt died in and left to my husband. Uh, So one night, we went to bed together, and uh, I decided to put a nightlight in the bathroom so that I could see in case I had to use the bathroom during the night. Uh, I was laying in bed, trying to fall asleep, but I had a feeling like I did when I was a kid, like something was in the closet or underneath my bed. I kept thinking, okay, this is stupid. There's nothing wrong. Just go to sleep, Robin. But the feeling persisted to the point that I was about to wake up my husband and tell him. Before I could say a word, he grabs my hand and said, Don't say a word. Someone is in this room. Well, I started panicking. I whispered, who? He said, look at the foot of the bed. The door to the bathroom was next to the foot of the bed, and the nightlight was on, so the light illuminated that space. I looked, and I didn't see anything. But my husband swore that he did, and he said that it was moving around to his side. By this time, I was shaking. I was so scared. And he said, it's right here. It's right next to me. He stared at where it was, and then turned to me and said... It's my aunt. He slept that night, but I did not. I I was petrified. It was so hard living in that house after that, even though I knew that his aunt was a really nice lady. The house would get cold whenever we would argue, and every now and then we would hear a door slam shut. However, when my baby was born... It did get better. Wow. Yeah. Also, I mean, interesting that the husband was freaked out until he realized that it was familiar. Um, and thinking about the conversation we just had with, with Paul. I know. And I've had I this mean, picked for a solid week and a half ready to go. You so. know, was was that some sort of a parasite? And it just showed itself as the husband's aunt in order to continue to be there especially i mean the cold spots yeah the cold cold spots definitely means an energy drain yeah um just i i you know she's got more stories she tried to consolidate it all into one part here 
just yeah. absolutely fascinating, man. <laughs> well, and, and again, just you know, hearing that story after the conversation with Paul produced a completely different thought process. So, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, this show is going to... I'm interested to see what kind of dreams I have tonight um, and, and what thoughts and theories I have uh, the next couple of weeks. So, wow. Ooh, man. Um, well, that that that's our listener story, our, our encounter from the Fearscape there. Uh, you, you can always send in yours to us. You can send those to fearscapepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can hit us up on any of our social medias, hit us up on any of the message boards that we're on, or yep. you can uh, join our uh, media network. You know, we run the Fearscape Media Network full of other great podcasts. Um, well, we have a Facebook group, if you're on Facebook, the Fearscape Media Network fan group, um, which is really great. We just celebrated our year anniversary. We have over 2,000 members on there uh, with that fan group, and it has been amazing. Yep. Um, but it's another great place. People share their stories on there all the time um it's one of those places you can do that as well um but uh, fearscapepodcast.com click report a sighting that's another way you can do it yeah and so, i mean yeah. it doesn't have to be ghosts it can be anything aliens bigfoot bigfoot um your mom having creepy red eyes i don't care yeah. um all of that and aunt, aunt betsy whatever the case may be you can't trust aunt betsy man that's, that's all i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> um, but thank you guys so much for tuning in as you do every week um, and supporting us. We love you guys so much. And uh, even when, you know, I get sick or, or Josh gets sick and we have to take a week off, you guys are always so very excited about yeah. uh, us coming back after a week. And we always love those little notes of encouragement. And we thank you guys so much. Um, but we are going to get out of here and uh, let you guys get back to your day or your night or whatever it may be. You like yeah, that voice. <laughs> I do for you. That's fantastic. Uh, but anyways, uh, again, thank you guys so much for tuning in to Fearscape Paranormal Podcast here on the Fearscape Media Network. This has been Stefan. Keep your eyes to the skies. This has been Josh. The truth is now. And remember, folks, hold those blankets extra tight because things tend to get spooky when you're listening to Fearscape. Good night, everybody. Good night. We hope you have enjoyed this guidepost on the road of high strangeness with us. And we thank you, as always, for listening and joining our caravan to the weird and unknown. Please consider supporting us as we continue our journey to find the answers we all seek. Fearscapepodcast.com forward slash support. <laughs>